Hey, I'm Nick Vonbrack, and this is The Record Podcast. Today, we are doing something different. Instead of doing the episode, mini-episode, mix-up schedule, I'm just going to throw a full episode on here. My guest is John Alvin, the producer hailing from Chicago. He has produced Dr. Manhattan, Mutz, Carbon Tigers, Bailiff, and he's also a former member of the band This Is Cinema, which is one of my favorite local bands that we used to play with. No real reason why I'm doing this. I've just backlogged a few episodes, and instead of getting comfortable and getting myself set for the next few months, I figured why not just start posting these things when I can, and I'll mix in some mini episodes just to break it up now and then. John and I talk about a bunch of stuff. We talk about babies as he's expecting a baby soon. Talk about his history of music, owning your own studio, the difference between being an engineer and a producer, Recording Dr. Manhattan, some good stories there, uh, do's and don'ts of recording as a band and a producer, and a bunch of more stuff. In upcoming interviews, I'm going to be posting the Tyler Wildey interview, which is uh, the owner of Epic Deli in Johnsburg, and he's also a local musician. Scott Heisel of Substream Magazine and formerly of Alternative Press. And coming up, uh, schedule pending, I've got Arun of Saves the Day, Goose of Norma Jean, Steve of The Color Morale, Mike Abuso, Matt Angers of Sophagus, Kurt Travis of A Lot Like Birds. A lot of interviews lined up, so I'm going to try to make this happen with all our mixed-up schedules. Twitter contest. All right, so this week I didn't have anything to give away from the guests, but I figured I'd just give away something from my own personal stash. So the winner of that is Jeremy Heron, who's at JTrain039 on Twitter. I'm going to be sending you a random record from my collection. So I'll get in touch with you to get your address. So I'll give you a nice little treat to add to your own vinyl collection at home. All right, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Please share our links, you know, facebook.com slash the record podcast, Twitter at the record podcast without the A. And for my personal links, I'm on Instagram and Twitter at zombie, two Zs and four Es. And Facebook, you can just search uh, Nick Von Brack and it should just pop up there. Uh, you know, doing a podcast is difficult, more difficult than I anticipated, especially you know, having a newborn baby and a wife that works all the time and we're crazy busy at home. So doing anything you can on your guys' end, sharing this stuff, uh, you know, spreading the love on the on the podcast is really helpful so I can get more people to listen to this and I get all kinds of new guests for you guys and some cool stuff to give away too. So I appreciate all your guys' help with all this and I hope, uh, hope you enjoy this interview with my buddy John Alvin. I haven't done this. What a podcast! I've done a couple of those, but um, I haven't done video chat in a long oh, time. Oh yeah, me neither. That's what I mean when when I pulled I, I had a little like sticker over the cam, so I didn't even set it up to do it. Oh yeah, do you, is that because you don't want the government watching you? <laughs> That's because my wife doesn't want the government watching her. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> I I love it. <laughs> so how you yeah. been, man? Good. Good. Uh, well, it's the end of it's the end of the year, so it's pretty relaxed and just not a lot going on. And 
but that's not necessarily true. It's been a lot going on, but it's I've been at home a lot recently, so that's been awesome. I've been okay. able to been able to relax and um, you know, we're making a lot of food today, cookies and Oh, nice. Are you like guys that. doing New Year's at your house or something or going to a friend's? Yeah. Yeah, we're we're doing New Year's here. Awesome. Um and then we're gonna go like to another friend's later. Um but yeah, like, you know, we're getting ready to have a baby and Yeah. That's 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 amazing. Do, and, do you know uh, gender yet? Has that been figured out? A secret? We're not gonna we're not gonna find it out. Cool. We're just gonna, you know, roll with it. You guys you guys found out though, right? Yeah, yeah, we did. We had well we actually I guess we didn't have to, but once earlier on in the pregnancy we had to take a bunch of tests. I don't even know if I told you this story. Did I tell you like the problems we were having? No, no, no. So we found out that both of us carry the gene for cystic fibrosis. Okay. And once the mom, once they find out for the mom, then they have to test the, the dad. And then once, and they're like, oh, well, the odds of both you have, and it's super rare, and both of us have it. And so then at that point, it's a one in four chance the baby has it. So once they had done uh, the blood testing and stuff for it, like they knew the gender. I mean, they could have kept it a secret still, but they're like, well, they knew pretty early on, like 12 weeks or something, like super early. And then at that point, we're just like, all right, well, it'd be nice to plan ahead. And I think, and Jen's a big planner. She wants to have the room colored and all that. So we found out pretty early on. What's, uh, what's cystic fibrosis? So that's, so that was my same question when they told us that. Um, so basically my understanding of it is it's like a, it's your body is the fluids in your body are thicker than they're supposed to be like in your lungs and stuff. So your chest, like, I guess at once a month or something, you have to wear a plate over your chest to like kind of shake it up and break up the phlegm or else it gets, you know, it gets like too thick. And uh, typically, you know, someone with cystic fibrosis doesn't, you know, they live like nowadays they can live to like their thirties, but most times it's like a total guessing game. So odds are it's like, you know, it's not if it's just when they're going to pass. So Wow. That was a pretty stressful few weeks. Yeah, totally. We just found out that we don't have gestational, or Sarah doesn't have gestational diabetes. That's which, scary, too. Yeah, it's scary, too. That was like, we she had to go through like the second round of tests for that. And that was, we were just like, oh. Yeah. And then like early on for us, we found out that they're doing like, um, or that the, the baby has like a an enlarged kidney or something. Okay. And so that was like a, a scare, but. I think we're going to be okay with that. So, yeah. Yeah, it's it's funny when, like, when you're pregnant, like, the whole thing is just like, oh, we got, like, because up until then, we had been hearing all these friends of Jen's and people she worked with, like, they're all having trouble getting pregnant. So we're like, oh, this is going to take us a while, like, more than we expect or something. So <laughs> so we plan to, like, we're like, oh, well, you know, may, we'll start trying, and then in, in, like, a year it'll happen, and it just happened right away. So we're like, okay. So then we just assumed, yeah. all right, that's all the trouble there is. After that, it's smooth sailing. But then, yeah, then we found out about the cystic fibrosis stuff. And we we're just like, oh, yeah, there's all this scary shit now. And right, right. It, it's it's crazy how much you don't. I mean, I didn't think about any of those kind of risks or things like that happening. And then, yeah, you get into it. There's Jen, when she got into the hospital, they found out she had pre preeclampsia. So then that was. Okay. That was. Did, did, was your baby early then? No, she was two days late so okay they don't know 
if she had had it for a while, if it was, you know, if it happened during the delivery part of the whole thing. So yeah, there's just all these things I'm learning about now that I had no idea (laughs) what they were. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Yeah. When are you guys due? March 21st. Awesome. So very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever, did you ever sign up for the, the what to expect when you're expecting like emails? (laughs) The, well, we, so we did, um, we did a couple classes. No, did we do just one? We signed up for two and only went to one. I went to the breastfeeding one. And then there was another one of like the basics of childcare. And we actually ran into a girl that I went to high school with at the class I went to. And she's like, oh, don't waste your time. She's like, it's super basic, like nothing you don't already know. So we're just like, all right, we'll just, we didn't do that one. Um, but I, yeah. we got some books. I read, I read a couple books, like all the, all the dad style books. What about, yeah. What about you? I will. I um, I si- I like signed up for the what to expect when you're expecting, um, like email chain, and yeah. I just remember like it was like two months into the pregnancy where they were already sending off. There was one. There was one email that I'll never forget. That like the subject line was just "time is running out," <laughs> like exclamation mark. And it was just like what? Like what's happening? <laughs> what? Mm-hmm. So yeah, no the. My favorite book right now is this book called The Good Enough Parent, and it's like it's by this uh, like European European guy, and it's I don't I don't really know what to say about it, but it's it's like definitely asked a lot of really great questions, and it's like it talks about like what to do with like guns and oh wow violent stuff and like uh, how to talk to your kid about that kind of stuff. Well, just or? like just like that that like children have aggressive like they they like they don't know what to do with their aggression and they don't right. know what to do with all that. And so like, what are the healthy ways to like, to like let that happen? And like when, if you have a boy, like they will definitely like want to be playing guns and then like how to respond to that. Like not to necessarily be like, no, like you can't do that, but right. like to, to like how to like respond if they like shoot you. And like, like, you know, one of the things it says is like, you know, don't like, if the ba- if the kid is like shooting at you, like don't like pull out a machine gun and then be like, <laughs> essentially, like you don't want to do stuff like that. Yeah, but you want to be like, you want to be like, oh, like now that I'm dead, what will you do? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's a that's a, at least it's a way to think about. Like, I would have yeah, just been like yeah, pull out a rocket launcher. Yeah, probably don't even think about like those things actually mean things and sets up precedences for that kid. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's a whole bunch of stuff. I'm I'm have a lot of the other stuff escapes me right now, but yeah. But yeah, I've been reading books about it. Yeah. Good. I mean, Mr. Mr. Rogers is a good one too. Oh, I would have yeah. definitely read it's, that. It's super simple. It's like it's 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 like re- all the chapters are really simple, and then like at the end of each chapter, there's just like this is what this chapter said in like four bullet points. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's yeah. I mean, that shows you're an exci- that you're an excited dad, that you're wanting oh, to learn. Yeah. You're not just like, eh. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'll take I'll take them or leave them whenever whenever I'm, they come. I'm super pumped. Good. What you have a daughter, right? What's her name? Yeah, Charlotte. 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 Yeah, that's a great name. <laughs> She's currently. Uh, oh, thank you, by the way. I don't know if you'll be able to see it. I have her on a monitor. She's downstairs swinging. <laughs> And I was gonna move her upstairs, but I knew that I would risk that. Oh, I would risk then waking her up and then potentially yeah. put this off longer. So once she's asleep, you just kind of gotta roll with Go the punches. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Um, 
But yeah, uh, so I usually I usually try to take it back pretty far in with the whole beginning of the interview, and I'll ask something like, you know, what was what was growing up like? Either you can start there, or like musically, like you know, what were the first bands you were in? But whatever you're comfortable getting into, I mean, yeah, where did you grow up? I grew up in Glen Ellen, Illinois, okay. and that's a western suburb of Chicago. It's like an it's like an hour west of Chicago. It's a little um. It's it's like a nice it's a nice suburb, but it's like a little uh, like uncultured in a way. Okay. So it's definitely like it's definitely just like mostly white people. Yeah. Um. And I think that like my like my first my first few interactions with music and bands were I played in in all of like the the high school bands and all the junior high bands, and I started playing trumpet in fifth grade and okay. Um, and then like. The, the first shows that I would go and see were like basement hardcore shows. So they were just like, they're just like really rowdy, like always a mosh pit. Just yeah. like the crowd was a mosh pit. Do you remember um, any of the first bands you saw, even if they were just like local? Oh, bands? yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Kung Fu Rick. There was there was a band called Nineteen of Salem. Okay. There was a band called uh, Last in Line, Landmine. Um, that was where that band Spittlefield came out of. Was oh, all okay. of that? So Spittlefield was like a basement band. Um, There were a, another band called, uh, I think, Step Forward, Look West. Um, but yeah, there were uh, Tom Sawyer. There were so many, yeah. and they were they were all like I just remember John Brown Battery. I think was from like Lincolnshire. They were all just like they were all just like the most ridiculous shows. Like <laughs> I remember there was like one show where like it, it would be like so hot in these basements. Right. It's like so hot, and <laughs> and this one like guitar player just like throws up in the middle of a, a guitar solo but like but like they keep playing of course that's awesome and then and then every, like the like the 20 people are in the basement just like yes <laughs> like you did that for us like you know um, yeah but that's the shit you don't i mean right there you didn't forget it that's something you will never forget no i'll, I'll never forget that <laughs> stick stick to it yeah 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 so that was like that was my beginning with with like going to shows yeah. The first the first like legitimate concert I saw was was Matchbox 20. Okay. Uh but you know I was never really into them. I just I just went like with some I didn't really start playing like guitar in bands 
until I was in college, like a sophomore in college. And I just, I just played with like some other friends from around the, the, the city or whatever, the, the school that I was at, DePaul. So and, no, no high school bands? No. I tried, but yeah. it was like, man, that was like, it's so funny to like think back to that. I, I remember like I had a, like a hollow body electric guitar and I would yeah. like, I would just like play like enter Sandman with, with my friends. And then we would play like, I would like learn like the Batman theme song. Sure. Like I was in jazz bands, but I was like terrible at it. <laughs> and like, there was like another guy who was also like, we had like two guitar players. Cause like jazz band was like all inclusive. It was just like, yeah, you want to play in jazz band? Just come join the jazz band. Oh, okay. So, so I was in, I was in jazz band, but I didn't really like understand what like would have meant to like play with feel or anything right back then. So, but yeah, so that's, that's like my, my beginnings of, of all of this. And you said um, you went to DePaul and then that's when you started playing in a, like on a band for the first time. I made a mistake. <laughs> um, I, I actually, I, the first band I played in was when I was a junior in high school I played in a band called Lotus with this guy Wes, and and uh, he had a recording studio in his basement, and that was like how I got into recording. Was I would go over to his home, and his dad had like made the recording studio for Sticks or whatever, and Sweet. so yeah, so so it was like a really great place, and and I just I just loved I just loved that. So yeah. so I played guitar in a band, and we we played like two shows, and then like that was it. Okay. So, so at what point does this is cinema start? Because I think that's when I meet you. Is either well, I'll have to ask you. Do we do we meet because of this is cinema or because of recording? Because of you recording us, we met because of no, we met because of of um, Daniel. I think. okay, I think we met because of Daniel, and like I think it was because of Wax on Radio. We met. Or okay. Like, I think like you guys were like into wax on or something, mm-hmm. and where you guys had played shows or you were like getting into bigger shows and stuff, and and so that was happening. This is cinema happened. Um, I dropped out of college. I opened up the studio, Big Gold Studios, mm-hmm. and um, like went into just recording all the time. And yeah, I was working on the This Is Cinema album, and then I joined This Is Cinema after we finished the album. Oh, okay. Because no one would put up with the the insanity of <laughs> of, of of Ben and Marson, and <laughs> and then it was and me really. So it was just like it was just us and. And then we like just like went through all these drummers, including you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that that's how that happened. So I joined because like there was no one else to to join really. Word machine, make me a language worth speaking. One that flows into the ears and out of the mouth. For I am a tree. I am a tree, not all never 
at what point did recording become interesting to you? Because that, I, like most, a lot of stories, a lot of people I'll talk to is like, oh, I heard this band, I listened to No Effects, then I picked up a guitar, and then I played in punk bands, and then that. But like, how does how does a producer, or at least your experience, like what happened for you yeah. to then get in, interested in the recording? Uh, I got interested in recording because of going over to that first band that I was in, Lotus. I'm having a recording studio in the basement. And then on top of that, my other friend's dad was, um, he was a jingle writer and he had a recording studio in Chicago. And, and so he, he like, I would go there. I interned there when I was in high school and being in the recording studio is really neat. But what really solidified it for me was when I went to DePaul, I was going to go for music, music business. Mm-hmm. And I took a class in music business and it was just so boring. And it was just like, <laughs> I, I just like, I was not into it. And my friends were like, who are in This Is Me Smiling and now any kind, they were like recording an album at Atlas with Matt Allison who did the Alkaline Trio albums and mm-hmm. the Lawrence Arms. And they were like, hey, can you drive us to the studio? And I was like, yeah, sure. So I drove them to the studio and I got to like, spend time in the studio. I was just like, this is awesome. Yeah. I really love this. And so, and so it was kind of like that. And then like not a year later, they were like, well, we're going to record our album with Sean O'Keefe and he owns a studio, but he's selling that studio. Do you want to, do you want to go in on the studio together? And I was like, yeah, like not knowing what any of this meant. Like, right. I had no idea about any of this stuff. And so there was a day where they were like, all right, like, well, like we're going to take out a small business loan. And I was like, all right. And and so they showed up at my parents' house with this contract that was like, here's the loan amount, like you need a cosigner. And I didn't even tell my parents. Wow. And and they they showed up and I was just I'm gonna open a recording this and they're just like, What? <laughs> and they signed it. They signed it. And then I opened this recording studio with Matt and Dan. Matt and Dan then like left after three months. They were like, We don't wanna do this. And so what? I was so it was just me then like in charge of this recording studio. And I went through all these business partners, but it was just, it really just wound up being me. Yeah. Who made it work. Um, so, so it was like, it was really like falling backwards into it in a lot of ways. And I would have to say that like, I was into listening to music a lot too. I was, yeah. I was really into listening to records and, and listening to albums by people I like, like Radiohead and stuff like that. Yeah. Right I was going to ask what's, what was, do you remember like the first record that kind of, got you interested in like, oh, you know, better than just songwriting, like there's a lot going on outside of that. This was really confusing for me because I was always around songwriters and I was always around people who were in bands and stuff. But the, mm-hmm. the, the music that I was really drawn to when I was in high school was, was like Aphex Twin and a lot of electronic music, um, mm-hmm. Autocur and, and Boards of Canada and then, yeah, a little bit of Radiohead and, and Bjork, but Bjork's records were like largely electronica albums. Right. And so I had no way of knowing how to do any of that stuff. Like, right. Do electronic stuff. Nor, nor was anyone like, nor was anyone really interested in doing that stuff. So I was recording a lot of bands, but that wasn't really like, that, that wasn't, it, I, I guess I like, maybe it was like I, maybe I saw like a light at the end of the tunnel and I was like, maybe I'll get there someday. I'll be able to do this to people. But, but yeah, so, so the earliest stuff that made me really interested in recording was this, the, the come to daddy EP by Aphex twin. 
And there was just the way that the ride symbol sounded on that record. It was just like <laughs> on this one song, IZUS, it was like, that's amazing. And I would sit, I would, I would sit in my basement and I would be like, I would like mic up ride symbols and I would like, like try different samples and none of them yeah. sounded like even close. And I was just like, ah. <laughs> Another great sounding album was Clarity by Jimmy Eat World, and it was like the snare sound. Yeah. Like, so then I would like, you know, mic up the snare and like put the mic in all the different places until it sounded like Jimmy Eat World's snare. That's cool. That's a cool way to go about it, though. I mean, that's a way to learn by just taking time and moving things around and seeing how things react, how mics sound in different places in a room. It it, it never made any sense though, because like with with Jimmy Eight World's snare, like putting a mic and then like the snare and like hitting the snare, like that's one thing. But then like putting all the drums around it oh. and being like and being like, okay, well, like I can't mic a snare from four feet away right. and have it sound like so. So I had to learn about all that stuff. Yeah. Um, my first recording session was a mess. It was, <laughs> I remember the band showed up and I had no idea how to use any of these, this recording stuff at this studio that I just bought into. And, and so I just, I had to send them home cause I didn't even know how to work the patch bay. It was just wow. like, it was just like, sorry guys. <laughs> it, was, it was a nightmare. It was a nightmare. Were the band, did you still end up recording the band or were they like, uh, this is sketchy <laughs> i think so yeah no i did yeah it was yeah it was it was a hardcore band called the conductor okay um yeah i, re I recorded them it sounded probably really bad <laughs> <laughs> i don't know you blocked it out of your out of your memory i i have i haven't heard i probably i haven't heard it like since i finished it you know okay something like that so for for this is cinema when you recorded them was that pretty had you already done a few albums or was that pretty early on in recording for you too well that was still pretty early on but i had done probably like i'd probably worked with like 10 or 15 different people at that point okay um and yeah and they they like came to me yeah, they they came to me, and I had recorded two songs for them. Then I recorded that EP with them, and after I did the the first two songs with them, they were like, "Cool, like let's do more." So and for an album that, so when did you do that? Was that like that was eight, nine was, years ago or something? That was two thousand five. Oh, okay, so like ten over ten years ago almost. Um, do you listen back on that and like when I when I talk mm -hmm. to musicians i'll ask like can you listen back and enjoy songs 
but for producers, can you listen back and enjoy it? Or is it like uh, too much, like you're just picking up too many things that you wish you could have changed? I'm fine with it. Okay. I I actually, I listen to that album, like, sometimes I put that album on, like, the most recent, it's been like a couple times at like the end of a session or something, it'll like come on or something and I'll I'll just be like, (laughs) You should react that way because that EP holds up, man. It it sounds so good. I remember, I remember seeing Ben at, at the Art Institute where we both studied and I was just like, Ben, like, you know, this was like also like seven years after the fact. I was like, Ben, that album's really good. And he's just like, <laughs> like not interested. Yeah. You know? But yeah. I, I, I remember that being like, that was really fun. Was that, was that kind of, well, you said that's like 10 or 15 albums in, but do you remember if it was that album or some other album where you kind of listen to your music and you're like, Oh, like I'm actually figuring out how to do this. Well, did you have that, a moment like that or did, was it just all a blur of learning? At that point, the only guiding principle I had was make it sound good. Okay. Like make it sound good and spend lots of time making it sound good. And what that meant to me at that point was using lots of good equipment. So like everything that we did on that album, like there was something special about it. Like, mm-hmm. We would like restring our guitars every time we tracked a guitar. Like wow. we would like use like really awesome amps. We would use really great outboard gear, like space echoes, and mm-hmm. we would spend a lot of time getting drum sounds. We would spend a lot of time like miking the drum kit in different ways. We would we just spent a lot of different time like experimenting, and yeah. and I wasn't really. I was engineering that record, but I wasn't really leading that record. So, so Ben was really also like, he was also kind of like guiding the whole thing. And he was kind of like, he was kind of like determining like, this is good and this is bad. But in general, it was just like, I just wanted to sound unique and and cool. Yeah. And when we got to mixing it at smart studios, like we paid a mixing engineer to be there for the whole thing. Um, because we thought that we wanted someone to help us mix it, because we were having a hard time mixing it at Big Gold. Yeah. Um, but then, like, but then, like, I wound up mixing all of it except for like a track. Like, hmm. I think that like the other guy like helped me like get started, but yeah, he was he was like there just to kind of like help me like figure out what equipment was what. So that just goes to show you don't need anybody else, man. Just kick everybody else out of the room. You can do it all. Oh, that's. <laughs> That's a great, that's a, I think I would be so much better off though. This is, I'm, I don't regret anything here, but I would have been so much better off if there was, there were teachers in, in the Chicago music scene. Like there's just not like, it's just like what, like you go to school for it Mm -hmm. and like, you don't know what questions to ask. Right. So by the time you get out, like five years later you're just like why didn't I ask more questions right the the other thing is is like there's no there's not like a good internship program there's like a few studios that have good internships Mm -hmm. or even like enough people who are like coming through the doors to make it worthwhile there's just not a good education system in Chicago so that's why like one of the things I do right now is I do a, a, a group for producers and engineers and songwriters where we meet monthly and we, we t- like we dissect Pro Tools sessions awesome. and we like talk about like the songwriting and, and the engineering and the producing and the plugins and you know everything that goes into it because because yeah like I I was taught how to drum edit that yeah. was all, that was all I learned how to do 
Like, I had no idea. <laughs> and there was no YouTube. There was no, like, looking it up online. It was right. just, like, I don't know, like, SM57 <laughs> on everything. <laughs> <laughs> like, and then, like, when when I got more gear, like, when I got to work on the Dr. Manhattan album, like, it was just, like, I'm just going to turn everything crazy. <laughs> Like, which is a perfect band to do it for, because we were like, "Yes, do yes, everything." Totally, <laughs> yeah. So I would, I would just be like, "Turn it up, <laughs> turn it up!" Like it's the lights are red. That's good. Like <laughs> to the point where I, I, I don't know if you remember this. I started the speakers on fire at that studio. I, that does. I have a vague recollection of that happening. Yeah, I, I started the speakers on fire at IV Lab, like the second day of me ever working there, <laughs> and it, those were hand given to the owner of the studio by Billy Corgan. Like they're like custom for him. And he comes in, he's just like, he's just like, it's okay. And then the first time I worked at Chromatic, I blew one of those speakers out of the, the $15,000 speakers. I was just like, I don't know. Like, so you have a signature, you go, the first time you go into a studio, you fuck it all up. And then you're like, I'm here. I have been here. Yes. Exactly. Signed John Elvin. Yes. Yeah fire <laughs> so do you like when you were talking about there's not a good system for teaching production or recording in chicago is is i don't, don't want to say is there like an ego but is there kind of like an unspoken thing of with producers like they don't want to give away all their secrets or like they want people to learn the hard way or like what is your experience Few people are like that. Yeah. Everyone, everyone will tell tell you what they do, but okay. there have only been a couple times where I've asked people and they've been like, Pfft. "There was one, there was one time I heard a recording and I was like, I was like, I want to know how that guy did that." And I I wrote him and I was like, "How did you do that?" And he was like, "I'm not telling you." And I was like, I'll, "I was like, I'll pay you. I'll consult. I'll pay you a consultant fee. Like, yeah. tell, like walk me through how you did that." And he was like, "No, I'm not telling you." Wow. I was just like, "All right, I'll find another way," like, <laughs> but. But yeah, like I think mostly like people people in Chicago and people in the group that I've been doing like are very open. They're yeah. very very open. The only reason I would never give away a secret is because I just like I don't have the time or I'm too focused on the project that I'm working on. Right. Like there's really no excuse. And I think that that's like kind of the way that things are going in recording now with Pensado's place and mixed with the masters and all these different YouTube channels that are mm -hmm. just like open books for people to look at so now that youtube is such a prevalent thing with people learning how to record is there an advantage to still going to school for recording i mean i know like school in general is like is it worth going to with a lot, all that's out there but like i guess specifically recording and production like is there a lot of value to going i never went to school for it other than for the first semester mm-hmm so I can't say that I'm a big fan of it. If if I were to like think about what I would do differently, knowing that like knowing how my my like late teens were, early college days were, yeah. I would have I would have gotten a degree in something else. And then since I was like since my parents paid for the first two years of college, I would have just I would have just like worked on recordings in my free time, right. done my homework, and then like continue to grow my practice, but I would have gotten a degree in something else. And I wound up getting a degree in something else. So I don't, I don't think it's valuable to get a degree nowadays in, in engineering. I really don't, unless you're interested in the technical aspects of sound and physics. 
which 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 can help. But recording gigs aren't based on like a resume or a degree. Not so much, no. Yeah. So somewhat of a resume, but but not a degree really. Right. No. So that's yeah. such a it's such a interesting thing to think about because yeah, you think about any other job. You know, most other jobs, they want to know where you graduated from, what you got, what your grades were. You know, school is the primary basis for getting into that field. But for recording, I mean, it's all about what, yeah, it's all about the quality of your work. Or like, you know, how long you've been doing it mostly. Does, does your album sound good? Yeah. Or does, do, do albums that you make sound good? That's it. Now that you've been, you've been recording how long now to, I mean, over 10 years yeah, I, I, I like to say that I've been recording for over 10, anywhere between 10 to 15 years, because the first recording I did was in, like, two, in the year 2000. Okay. In, my, in my, my bedroom. What, in 15 years' experience, what do you think is the most important part of your job in an album? Is like, and I know each album can be different, each band may want songwriting, or they may want you to mix more, like, your role may be different, but, like, what do you think is the most important part of that process planning. Okay. I think with our budgets in Chicago, like making sure that you're going to get a band like in and out the door with like knowing that you've done all of the planning. So like when you go into the studio, you don't screw around a bunch, right? It's, it's more focused, which is unfortunate because playing around in the studio is really fun. Right. So, so, like, when I go to a band or when a band comes to me, I say, I can do one of three things. I can engineer your album. I can produce your album. I can do both. Engineering your album just means I'm recording and I'm not really having input about the arrangement or anything. Right. Producing is I, I give input about everything. Um, you know, both is, is all of the above. Yeah. And, and usually people ask me to, to share my input. But there have been times where I've been asked to just engineer um, so when, when I become a, an engineer and a producer, like my, my most important thing is, is usually to listen to the songs ahead of time, rehearse them differently, like how I see them sounding best, Yeah. like doing demos, um, and then working, working with people over the phone or working with people through emails on, on various demos. So by the time that we actually get to recording it, we're on like the third or fourth draft of the song. Yeah. And that's the ideal. Yeah, I, I remember when we started working with you on the self-titled album, you came to our practices, like you hung around a lot. You even just, I think maybe even the first few times you hung out, we didn't even play anything. I think you just wanted to like get the vibe of how we all acted and you just wanted to see how we were as people. And for the second album, it was very different. We, you know, I recorded drums in DeKalb. We went to Seattle and like chopped everything and mixed it all around there. And of the two experiences, like, and it's, it's hard, you know, but the, I was talking about this the other day on the last interview I did with Moose from the Brokedowns. I think I was talking about it. Like the first album, you have your whole life to write. So you can take as long as you want. You yes. can, you can that's, that's a redo, rewrite, redo. And then the second time there's other expectations. You either have a budget and you have to get in and out. And I mean, I'm not yeah. going to yeah. play favorites, but I mean, the first time recording, you're always going to hold special. And I loved that. I loved how you came in. We all hung out. You saw how we were as people first then got a feel for the songs, then then you knew what to do. You knew what your role was. It wasn't like, I'm going to figure this out as we're doing it. Like you had a head, way of a head start when you started working. Yeah. 
and I know I don't know like how, how that happened for me. Like how, I don't know how I learned that, but it was it was a bit of an intuitive thing where it was like I I guess I figured out that there needed to be more planning rather than just be like, yo, band show up, let's do right. this. Like because I think I don't know, and I again like I don't know how this happened, but like I learned that it was important to be friends with be friends with the band and, and meet the band before before like going into like a huge creative endeavor. I think it was just like a kind thing to do. Like knowing yeah. that people are like spending a bunch of money, like you just it's like good manners. Yeah. Know? Well and it made our experience, you know, forever memorable. I mean I, I can always think back on a thousand different stories of us demoing the album and the hard drive took a shit. Like uh just recording i mean had we not worked with you we wouldn't have gone to ivy lab we wouldn't have gone to smart and those are beautiful awesome studios are great history and so there's just so many things in there that like you got to experience with us as people but also that was like at the beginning of our band and Mm -hmm. because that album sounded so good you know good things happened for us so there's i I think that i think that's such a good point like planning is like because when you think of recording you go what's gonna be important you want good gear you want you think of the actual recording experience but i think anything done well is done because there's been planning ahead of time and you've sat together and you've figured out your plan of attack instead of just all throwing yourselves in the studio and seeing what happens which can come from that too but um i think for at least at least for a band's first album like the thing that they're going to put out into the world i think it takes some some sitting down and planning yes absolutely absolutely for me like i remember it just being like about that planning and about like the intuition about like when working on songs with you guys like i don't know why but like there were songs that were better than others and there were Mm -hmm. songs that like i wanted to do certain things with um and i just went off of my intuition about what to do yeah and that was it and i think like the more like I know for me, like as a producer, like the more I'm able to do that with people, it's, it's usually like, it usually winds up being a better project. Like the more that like, that you plan and that you're, you allow your intuition to work rather than, or some, someone's intuition to work, like it works a lot better than like, than, um, like overthinking things and, and, um, like comparing things a lot to, to other things and, or other albums and trying to like overstructure things like mm-hmm. yeah there's that that's the other side of the balance that's that could be bad so planning makes for a good experience what in your history has made for bad recording experiences is it you know the people just being difficult or not having that planning or gear problems rec- i mean what what stands out is like things that are problematic for you and your in your experience the most difficult thing about recordings is when you care about the recording more than the people that you're recording oh, wow. so if if someone if if i go into a project like i'm going to care 100 percent about the project yeah and i'm going to care 100 percent about the project whether i'm getting paid you know a hundred dollars for it or five million dollars for it yeah so if i'm working with someone and they aren't they aren't like as into it as me like that sucks that's a big that's a big no yeah another thing that sucks um is 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 when people are really sloppy and they don't do their work like you know like depending on where you're at in your life like people like i'm at the point in my life where i want to make really good things so if mm-hmm. people don't do the work if people don't do like 
the things that I say, like, okay, like next time we come to a rehearsal, like make sure you have all this stuff worked out. Yeah. And it sucks. Like, but you have to, you have to be in that, that flow and that, and that structure of like rehearsing all the time, like once a week, twice a week. That's really important. It sucks when people don't know how to rehearse. It Mm. sucks when people like, when people are like a rehearsal is, is showing up, having a few beers and then like finally getting into it. And then like, maybe you'll get a couple songs done. Yeah. That's a mess. Like, you want to be able to like have structured rehearsals, which are important. Um, another thing is 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 um, n- like tardiness. I've worked with people, and they've like been, there have been people who've been like three hours late, and it's just wow. like like you know like because like as you get older, it's like right. you, have a, you have a family. It's like right. I want to I want to like I want to like leave at the time we talked about. Yeah. Um, uh, I think like the biggest thing though for me right now is like. Go having having sessions that aren't creative or playful. Like the like the most important thing for me. Like once you get into the studio and once you're working on things, like it has to be playful. It has to be creative. Yeah. It can't yeah. just be like. It, it, there has to be a balance with that. Yeah, like yeah. when like every time I work on something for myself, like I'm always just tr- just playing and having yeah, fun, yeah. and that's that's when I feel like the best stuff happens. Is just when you're playing. Right. Yeah, I think. I think the over the overall theme or the underlying theme of this is is balance like you planning before so that there's a good product in the end and also being serious about your craft but breaking it up with some fun and being silly because you know you can, if you take it too seriously you miss out on what the whole point of doing it is and that that comes in the form of us being at uh what was that studio called the symbiotic no the car uh car uh something with carpet Gallery of Carpet. Oh, Gallery of Carpet. And yeah. I, I think that was Gallery of Carpet where we're we're all just shirtless chugging water, and you yelled at us that you were Poseidon. And <laughs> I and... told that story once in a job interview <laughs> because I thought that it was like this was like the biggest. It, who cares? Who yeah. cares? But like, but I was interviewing for a position at an 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 ad agency. Mm-hmm. And for like like post sound mixer, yeah, and and like I think the question, like one of the questions, is like, in what ways have you been creative? <laughs> and and one of the people that I was, one of the people that had gotten me this interview was one of the interns on some of your stuff, or okay. on, on some of the stuff that I did at Ivy Lab. Okay, and so they were they were like bringing up Ivy Lab, and they were like, yeah, like John's always been really creative when I've worked on sessions. And I was just like. Let me tell you <laughs> what I have done in recording sessions. I used and so I go like one time the guy who was singing wasn't getting into enough, so I just started dumping water on him. And and they were and they were just like, okay, like like me not realizing like this this intern that I had like she didn't have to tell them that that, right. that, that she was dumping water on some you know so. But, oh, my gosh, that was such a good time. <laughs> well, that goes to show you. I mean, you hear stories of Brian Wilson setting fires in the studio. You're, you know, you're putting fires out. You're draining us with water to get the get the recording out of us that you need to. Yeah. Well, and I think that's that's a, a <laughs> that's a big part of what you want a producer. You want someone to know, like, you're not getting out of this what I know you can. Like, because some people, if you don't know them, you're going in. They don't. They don't know what you're capable of, so they're just going. All right, that sounds good. Like you're hitting the notes. 
you know, everything sounds like I it's think fine. It's, it's good. It's good enough. It's good. Yeah. It's fine. It's okay. So, and, and they want to get through it because they got to mix all this shit and they have to meet a deadline. But that's just a perfect example of you could have been like, no, we, you know, yeah, good enough. We got it two two times ago, so we're fine. But you screamed at us and we're like, but never in a mean way. You were just like, <laughs> you knew that that was our energy. You knew exactly yeah. who you were dealing with. And if we were like a soft spoken band who were playing folk songs and you came in screaming at us and pouring water <laughs> on us, I mean, I mean, I don't know how it would have worked out. I think it would have made for a great album regardless, but you knew who you were dealing with. So you knew you could like push our buttons and get like, get some good stuff out of us. So I think that's a big part of what a, you know, a producer is, is someone that's not just going to say, yep, sounds good. Yep. Sounds good. Yeah. Either way, producer gets paid so they can say, yep, sounds good. But absolutely. That does feed, you know, that does look back on you because I interviewed Casey Bates, uh, for this and he said like when he heard your recordings of the self-titled he's like i have to get in touch with him i have to tell him how good this album was and that was something i didn't even know i didn't know that you two had ever talked like and he I said he said just like a few emails or something back and forth but he said he's like i loved big chomper so then i got a hold of the album and then i got in touch with john and told him just I, he's like i had to at least tell him like this sounds awesome like great job and had you been like, yeah, fine, whatever, like, yeah, then no, I wouldn't give yeah. a shit. Right, right. Yeah, man. Oh, geez. <laughs> but I, 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 I'm, I'm really glad we, when we put it on vinyl, we used your mixes and stuff because I think it really brought it out on the vinyl. Like it sounded really warm, and it, like the, the remixes that Casey did were, yeah, they, they were great. But your record, like your recording obviously it's going to be more to us and more to me that because i know what those things sound like i you know i was there for it but like yeah there's there's just more to it it feels it just feels a little more like home cooking or something that's what it that's what it was it was like the the difference between like casey's and and the other one was mm-hmm. was just it was simple like like i like everything i recorded like i put in the mix yeah like, and that's there was no like there was no like taking away right like, dr manhattan to me was like like a maximalist like <laughs> loud ass like just like blow the roof off the fucker like yeah. just go crazy And so I remember like when I got back the the mixes that were different, like the drums had been replaced and then like they had like thinned out the guitar tracks. And I was just like, I guess that sounds better. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And that's, and and I remember when we'd been getting different remixes from people, like it's just so funny. Obviously every producer is different. They all like different sounding things, but it's just crazy how different you can take one song, give it to five different people and how, differently it can sound even though it's the same exact recording absolutely it, it just it just goes to show like what how important like i said how important your role is because i think sometimes people especially when you're early in a band you can't afford that sometimes you can't afford a producer you need you need someone who's just going to record you just the songs you wrote and that's that and mm-hmm. 
it's an important role. It's something that you could save the money on, but it's also something that you pay for it now, but it makes the recording better and then leads to more, you know, good things happening in your career because of it. Well, like the, the, it's like, it's almost like a midwife. Like the the, the role of a producer is like when you, like the band isn't accustomed to the studio and like the, the producer like helps negotiate like what that is going to be like for Mm -hmm. the band. Like how will that work? What will, like, how is this going to actually happen when we get to the studio? Yeah. They're able to, they're, they're able to like really hopefully see to the end of, to the end of it. To, they're able to see to the end of the, at the end of it, the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's what's really important is like the producer helps with that whole thing and the band can worry about writing the songs and, and like tones and stuff like that. But the producer is going to help like really just like pick it up to the end. Because like a producer, ideally, or an engineer, spends like every day in the studio. Yeah. Like, I think that I probably spent like two hundred days in a recording studio in the last year. Like, mm-hmm. so I I know what it's like there. Yeah. Like, I know how it will work. Yeah. If you're not spending all your time in there, like, you're not going to get the most out of it. So, when it comes to, I don't know, this will be easy to answer, but when it comes to like, say you're in a band and you're about to go record, knowing what, <laughs> knowing what you know, would your first, would you, what would be most important to you, a good studio or a studio that you are familiar with? Good songs. Yeah. But, um, but, but a, a studio with good equipment, I'll, yeah. I'll take, I'll take any day over a, a studio that I'm just so like, comfortable with okay i guess like okay looking at that a little more yeah like a a studio definitely has to have a creative energy it has to feel like it's a creative place it has to feel like you're able to sit down that was a a lot of criticism i got about chromatic was that like it didn't feel like it didn't it it felt too professional and people felt like they were like it was like on the clock there or something when, like, at the place I work now, it's, like, people are able to walk in, they're just, like, I know I can make things here because it's really, it doesn't feel, like, overly professional, but it feels like, oh, there's, like, a ton of synthesizers, and there's a ton of guitars, and there's a ton of amps, right. like, all right there for me. And we don't have a lot of really, like, amazing gear. We have, like, a few simple preamps, good speakers, and, like, enough to make it work. But I would, I don't know. So, again, it's probably another balance where it's, like, the place has to be comfortable enough and then the the place also have to have like some decent gear yeah i think like the thing i've learned because i've never really owned gear since i quit uh owning big gold studios mm-hmm. i've like i have owned like a recording interface and a computer and like a couple microphones like max yeah i don't own like anything and a lot of people own things i own a i own a guitar yeah i have i have like I have a guitar and a couple mics like that's it and and that's always like made me have to really like get the most out of whatever I'm yeah. like. so we talked a lot about you recording us because that's my direct experience many good memories in recording an IV mixing it smart what what since then have been some other projects you've worked on that have like that stick out whether because they went on to get you more exposure like they did well you know with sales or is it just something that like no one even heard it but to you it was like that was the best thing i've recorded 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to leave off a bunch here, but... Sure, but yeah. Just, okay. just, well, one, just, one, I can start. One I've heard that's, that sticks out to me is Bailiff, the Bailiff album. Oh, yeah. It's totally. really, really good. Totally. Good album. was a like a long process of pre-production there was like probably like six months of pre-production on that like we did we would do like a, a meeting every week for six six months and then we finally made it to the studio we worked we workshopped tons of songs we worked from like 20 songs down to 10 and then for the second album it was it was kind of similar um but that that was awesome like i i recently listened to that again because i was talking to those guys again and, and yeah, like it sounds really good. Yeah. Um, another project that I really loved working on recently was a record for Dastardly. The reason I liked working on that was because that band was like very interested in not having it sound like anything normal, like taking instruments and making it sound different. Yeah. So we we like our process was like they recorded everything and then like I reamped everything at the studio and like ran it all through boxes and oh. effects units and compressors and all sorts of stuff. And like so every track on that album is just like heavily affected and I yeah. love that stuff. I love yeah. like doing reverbs and delays and stuff. So, so the dastardly record, the hollow, was really good. I'm gonna have Gabe on here in some in a few months, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. That's even though I've only met him once, but yeah, uh, just from what I've heard musically, and also, I think he's probably one of the funniest people I've ever read things. <laughs> he's hilarious. Yeah, he's he's hilarious. <laughs> he's he's really funny. Gabe and I work on music at least once a week. Okay. So awesome. we're we're working on projects. Um, other projects that have been really fun um, and really memorable, the Salvation Army is always a really great project for me to work on. I do an album with them almost every year, and that's like great because it's it's eight people in the band. It's like about eight people or something, and we're able to like again like have a, a proper recording experience. It's like yeah. we do pre-production, we we do a day of demos or two days of demos. We listen to those demos. We do some more pre-production, and then we get to the studio and we do it all right. Like yeah. we do the drums, and then we like maybe some of it's a little live, but we just like spend a lot of time on it. And I get to hire Gabe for those too, and so Gabe gets to do all of the vocal work and everything. And awesome, it's just tons of fun. It's tons of fun. It's like it's a, another session where we get to come in with all these song structures, and then we get to play a lot with tones, and yeah. that is like 
That's great. <laughs> Any uh, another one? I'm just going to name off a couple more. Like, yeah, come to mind this uh, this singer from Chicago named Natalie Grace Alford. Um, she's going to re- release her EP that we recorded a while ago. But I recorded an album with her, and and she was amazing because her voice was just like oh, like one take, two take, and yeah. it, she sounds she sounds like Whitney Houston. <laughs> it, it was just like. She just like burn it down. It's yeah. amazing. Um, I like. I also. I'm. I'm sure. I'm just leaving off so many things here. Oh, that's but, fine. But I. I also. I also like my favorite experiences with recording. Also, are are just with myself when I get to record on things yeah. on my computer. I do a lot of that, and that's that's like that's that's what like really feeds me in a way yeah. because so much of what I do it has to stay interesting and it has to keep me interested. And so I have to play and experiment a lot and get different sounds and go really far. Because if, if every project I do, or every time I work on things musically, is just for someone else, yeah. it, it, it winds up like, I want to be like, no, like let's do this in your music. Let's right. do this in your music. And so it doesn't work in people's music. Because I like doing things that are like real crazy and don't make sense for like pop recordings at all. Yeah. And so, so I have to do that. Well, I think that, like you said, that gives you a good well-rounded experience because you'll yeah if you haven't done anything of your own even passion projects that you're writing at some point yeah you're going to embed yourself too much into their music and then that can make things weird there like oh no we don't want that idea like you got to take time to enjoy music writing on your own so that you can come back and like help out on that too sounds like you have a baby yeah here let me uh let me go get her real quick maybe she'll sit patiently while we do this i assume not okay There you go. There Hi. you go. Let's see if I can turn around. Ah! This is it's just John. You can say hey. Hey. <laughs> she's coming in. Hold on. Let me get her to turn around. Hey. Oh, she's, oh that's she, see, she sees mom, so Hi. she's not paying attention. Hi. Congratulations. Hi there. Oh, will, I, will I be able to hear? She says, he yep. says congratulations. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Nice to see you. How are you? Nice to see you. Hi, Let me see if I can turn her around if she'll pay attention. Mom's here, so she's oh, probably not going to be here. I'll that's get okay. out of the way. That's okay. <laughs> oh, I love her eyes. Ah, oh, thank you. I love their eyes. So. Oh, 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 lost uh-oh, uh-oh. Hold on, I gotta see this for a minute. Hello. Hi. Hey. Okay. 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 Hey. Oh, it works. Oh, there we go. Hi. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Just saying, congratulations. Uh, we're we're expecting a baby in March, and we're excited. Oh my goodness. So. Yeah. Oh, congratulations! Yeah. Boy or girl? Do we you don't know. know. You We're don't not going to find out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's so exciting. Yeah. Aww. Yeah. It's the best thing ever. Yeah. It's We're worth looking all real close. Bye. Oh. Oh, she's adorable. <laughs> Thank you. I just feel so so great to see you and see you know. You have started a family, and it's just—it just warms my heart. So, mm-hmm. yeah, nice to see you. I'll let yeah. you guys do your thing. <coughs> nice seeing you, Jen. Nice seeing you too. Congratulations again. Oh, thanks. You too. All right. So, any—I don't want to say like missed opportunities, but anything that's come your way that you passed on that that you wish you would have done, or does that has that not really not really happened? I don't think so. Yeah. I have I haven't been in a situation where I've had to pass on things. I think yeah. there there's like been a couple of times where there's been like sessions that people have contacted me about like 
like a few hours before and it's just been like oh yeah i can't do that but but nothing like big picture like no not really okay i feel i feel like i've i've been able to make everything work really like i've been able to to bu- budget my time well and yeah everything work and you so you said before you got a degree that wasn't in producing what was that in i have a I have a degree in painting and printmaking okay. and and I also like more than 50% of that degree was also based on writing a thesis on Jungian psychology okay. and so I, I wrote a lot on psychology in, in college and up until recently I was actually going to go back to graduate school and get a degree in art therapy oh. but, but but school costs a hundred thousand dollars. So, so there you have it. Yeah. So I'm not going to do that. So but. what? What music have you been? What What is a What is a? I know musically, like you've talked a little bit about what what you like to listen to in your free time. But like, what are you listening to lately? That like albums from this year, or just things that have been that you've been drawn to, whether it's production or you know just solid songwriting. What is what's been getting you going? Absolutely, really simply, um, I like things that that push the boundaries, um, that sound amazing, mm-hmm. and like amazing by everyone's standards, meaning like radio standards. Mm-hmm. And I also like I also like a lot of dance music. So boundary pushing stuff is like more like noise stuff or like one o tricks point never, which mm-hmm. is like very like just insane. I love that. I love the fact that it's like almost like a collage of stuff. like like an example not the best example but i like the way that like the adele album sounds mm-hmm. i don't love the album but i think that that's a really great sounding album it's a big sounding album it's well arranged yeah um so i'm a really big fan of that um and then like i'm yeah i'm just like i really like dance music so like i listen to a lot of dance music thing that has like four on the floor like a beat that that yeah. is constant and pulsing i spend most of my time listening to in the last year, like my Spotify was like Harold Budd, which is ambient piano music, Enya, which is New Age uh, Irish folk. Enya, Enya is just Enya. I, I think Enya, 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 Enya. Um, <laughs> I listened to a lot of Bach and Philip Glass, and then yeah, I don't know. Then like whatever's on the radio, I'll I'll listen to to make sure that I'm like not out of touch with that or something. Yeah. It, um, I keep getting drawn back to for album of this year that really knocked me on my ass and one that is probably going to make its way into my top 10 albums is the new Kendrick Lamar. Like, Okay, yeah. I listened <laughs> to a ton of that album. That is absolutely I feel like I that's going to be, like there's a few moments in my life. The first time I heard No Effects, I was like, what is this? You know, the first time, I think 
get it being with you and you showing me Bjork. Like I had heard a Bjork song, but then I was like, you were like, no, you need to like sit down and listen to Bjork. And that was like another, what is this moment? And then. like it's a such a painful album because because a lot of it i can like relate to on a on a human yeah. level but a lot of it i can't relate to on on just a race level right. and it really it really like it like it's it's just loud and clear in that mm -hmm. way and but like on a music level and like a lyrical level it's just like wow like thank you like that is amazing and and that's that's the power of word and that's the power of of music so yeah it's that that album shook me like many times many times is is an album like that or you know other ones that you enjoy is that something that reminds you of why you do what you do like what your role is in that or yeah well that's 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 for sure. Yeah. The actually like recently for me like what what's been doing that is I've been re-listening through albums that I got into like we were talking about in the beginning like I started re-listening to a lot of the Bjork and Aphex Twin albums and and Radiohead albums and and stuff like that. And those were really yeah. great reminders for me just in the last couple months like this is why I do mm -hmm. this. Like this is what it can be. This is what music can be rather than like like if I have a project that's just like yeah. boring or something, like it, it reminds me of like what the possibilities mm -hmm. are when when we use sound and when we use music to 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 create art. So yeah, like Kendrick, like yeah, of course, like Kendrick Lamar. That that's like a masterpiece album. Mm -hmm. And I think that I think that more and more as I work with people, like I understand, like I learn. Mm -hmm. There's like when you work with people, there's like there's like what they can do and like what you can help them to get to for a recording. And then if they stick with you for a while, like you can bring them really far. But like for the most part, like if, mm -hmm. if I have a masterpiece in mind, I can't do all that work in my, in, in with what I, with what I do. So I have to like gauge when I work on an album, like how far can I bring them? Like, right. does it just mean making some of the lyrics better, making the arrangements better? Or does it mean like, we're going to throw everything out and we're going to like really yeah. go to work. And there've been times where I've said like, we're throwing everything out and we're going to go to work. And then the band breaks up because like, Ugh. because like I just, I dropped too much of a bomb on them. It's just yeah. like, look, if we're going to do this, if we want to be good, like we got to do all this work and, and then it'll be like, well, that person doesn't care enough about this band. Like uh. it's so, so that happens. But, um, but yeah, like, the fact that great albums are being made and like listening to great albums like are absolutely a source of inspiration. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think like for a long time when I was beginning recording, mm -hmm. just getting the drums, bass, guitar, and vocals down was important to me. Now when I work on albums, it's like I want all of that plus all of the percussion, plus all of the synthesizers, plus plus everything 
like take it back, different mixes of those things, different samples for everything, different sounds, cutting things up, taking things out, putting things back in. Right. Like my process is, is I'm able to go through a lot more on the engineering and producing end than just worrying about like, oh shit, like how do I even get these few things down? Mm-hmm. So when I so when I work on things now, like something like to pimp a butterfly, it's like some of those songs are really simple. Yeah. But like I don't know, like okay, so what what I think about like when I think of to pimp a butterfly is I think of like how much play happened with that album. Like there's so many songs in that album where it's just like the beat is so simple, but it's so poignant and it's so amazing. Mm-hmm. And and there have been times where I've worked on stuff in the studio and it's been like, you know, like we work for like days on a beat or something. It doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. Like that doesn't feel right to me. Like what feels right to me is just like getting the beat in a few hours right. and knowing that that's working and then moving on. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that can, that can, that only happens if you're able to be playful rather yeah. than like, you know, so I, I hope what I'm saying is making sense. Yeah. I think, it, it's hard, it's hard, especially, I feel like, especially in the beginning of a band, something I was talking to Moose about the other day was naming a band. That's such a big deal to you when you start a band, because it's like, this is the name of the band. But then once you're a band, you're like, oh, it doesn't even matter. Like, this is just a thing to call us instead of just naming off all of our names in this band. Like, it, it ends up not being that important. So something as precious as you can be in the studio and you can focus on this one beat and then you become like obsessed with it. And you're like, it, it ends up hindering the whole process because you spend two days on this thing and you don't have enough money or time to like keep working on that thing. What seemingly is more important is just get something down, build off of that and then like either revisit it or, you know, let, let, let it kind of grow while you're doing other things in the process. Like, like you said, you have to be loose. You have to be playful. You can't like, become so precious about certain things in that Absolutely. in that world. And I think I think early on in my career I was overly precious about things. Mm-hmm. Um not always, but like now I'm able to like since I have more of like a big picture of the craft, I'm able to be like, yeah, like taking out that part of the song, no problem. Like, oh, like we're going to totally redo just the kick drum. Like, yeah. fine, like I can do that. I don't I'm not as worried anymore about keeping it all together. Like I can let it just like go in any direction. Great. Well, like you said, I mean, I think, I think when you, when anyone starts doing anything, they are precious about that. When you started learning recording, you're like the snare drum and click on clarity, that snare drum sounds. And then you probably on your first recordings, like obsessed over getting a snare to sound good. And then you learn eventually like, yeah, I want the snare to sound good, but this whole thing has to sound good too. I can't just obsess over the sound of that snare drum. But on that note, we did become very focused on uh, the snare drum sound for our album, and it paid off because when I listened to it, I'm like, I love that Black Beauty. Like, that snare drum is a killer, and I always remember the name of it because of you were like, that's the snare drum we're using. Like, this is what we're yeah, doing. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Do you, do you think it's a prerequisite for a producer to be a gearhead? Like, you got to know, you got to know that stuff to know what how good your recordings can be. You got to know good snare drums. You got to know good guitars and amps. Like Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. It, re- it really is. I mean, it not necessarily, but like it adds a lot. Yeah. It adds a lot. Like I used to be like, 
I don't know why we need so many plugins and why we need different things. And like the more that I work with plugins, it's like, like, it's like, yeah, like I have six different delays and they all do something different. Mm -hmm. Like, and I know like why I go to each one. I know why I go to different reverbs. I know why I go to different compressors. Like, yeah, if you know more about all of the tools, it helps a lot. So for someone, someone who's listening to this, who's like, I'm kind of interested in getting a recording. Like what, but I don't know where to start. Like, do I go to full sale? Do I listen to albums? Like what? And I'm, again, this is a very broad question. Everyone will answer differently. Where do you think the right way, what's the good, the right foot to, to get on? Is it getting into gear? Is it just going into a studio and spending time? It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's having experiences. Yeah. Having, having experiences, trying to record people, even if you don't get paid, um, just having the experiences, making a lot of mistakes and doing that all like while you're working with people, mm-hmm. that's like the most important. And then, and then, yeah, like while you're doing that, like just like looking up videos on YouTube and yeah. trying to learn from people, that's it. Like you, you have like, we now have that system. Like you can, you can learn online, you can have the experiences. Yeah. And then if you have like one person that you can talk to, about that who's really good like that's that's the thing it's like that's like an old like buddhist thing is like you have the the dharma the buddha and the sangha Mm -hmm. so in a way it's like you have the teachings you have the person and then the sangha would be like the 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 community of things so maybe like the community is like the online community now or or the community you know that you meet with or the group that you're working with or whatever but those things are important to grow so if people are in the Chicago area and they want to come to one of these classes you're talking about, what what's some info on that? How do they get involved yeah, with that? Um, you, can, you can look up on my website my contact information, um, and I just, I'll just add people to the email chain. But I have, there's, there's like 40 or 50 people on the email chain, and then everywhere between like 10 to 20 people show up each time. Okay. And your website is, is it johnalvin.com or jonathanalvin? It's, it's, it's jonathanalvin.com. Okay. Yeah. www.jonathanalvin.com. <laughs> okay, cool. I mean, they're bound to be at some point someone who hears this and is like, oh, man, you know, I like his style. I want to get, or just like you said, like the, a community is a big part of becoming a good engineer, good producer. It's, yeah, it's not even about me in a lot of ways. Like I just, I just structure the thing. And then like there's people who are there who are just like, badass engineers yeah. and like that I look up to a lot mm-hmm. that are like that like I love it when they answer questions because I learn so much yeah, yeah so so yeah so yep good um what is something what's a good little because now we've kind of buttoned this up nicely we started at started at our experiences ended up on like where to go for producers and engineers who are interested what's um what's a good story that or what's a story you hold on to from recording that like you'll always look back on finally whether with us or like just an experience you had that like reminds you why you do what you do well i think we covered the ones with a couple with you guys yeah i think one of the best experiences ever of being in a recording studio um i was recording a mutz album
So it's Mike Maimoni, Bob Buckstaff, and Chris Faller. Mm-hmm. And and Chris Chris is on drums, Bob's on bass, and, and Mike's on this like old piano that like you have to like hit hit to make a sound it's like it's so old and he's like also like he's also like tuning it because like it's going out of tune oh, wow. so like it's like it's insane and mike and and they're playing live and they're rec- we're recording it to this eight track tape machine that was used on beetle or beat beach boys the beach the beach boys yeah, yeah beach boys recordings but like one of the channels is down so it's only a seven track, but then like also one of those cuts out every once in a while. <laughs> so it's like it's like kick snare overhead like bass piano room. Yeah. And and they're just like they're just like they're playing all these songs and and Mike Maimoni is just like yelling into the room. So like it's just this like huge room yeah. and he's just like you can just hear it all in the recording. And he so when we're listening back to this one song, it's about um like essentially about like the 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 bad parts of capitalism. Mm-hmm. He like he like comes in and we're listening back and and he just starts crying and he's just like, you know, like capitalism sucks. Like this is what it's done to my family. These mm-hmm. are the things that it sucks. And he's just crying about this. And it's just like that's amazing. Like yeah. he was able to like open up in in all of these different ways on this recording and like then also just like share vulnerably about like what that was. Yeah. And then we we like released that and it was just like it was just an amazing experience. It was so co- so cathartic and and like just sad and like it was just a great way to express all that anger and sadness and pain of you know the what it what it's like to be a human living in capitalism. Yeah. Well good. Shit, yeah. I, I don't uh, I don't even know what else I could ask you. I feel like it kind of touched on everything. Is there yeah, um, I feel good. Are there projects, future projects you kind of know about already that you're working on that you can talk yeah. about or just things that you're you're just like, oh no, I'm just excited about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um there's a couple I can't talk about, but there's many that I can. Um the working with Gabe is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, we're working on songs with him. The stuff that I'm doing um, myself, I'm really excited about. Um, I'm doing a project with um, the singer from Carbon Tigers. Okay. He's in a new project, and I'm recording that um, project that's coming up really soon. It's exciting. I'm doing another Salvation Army record, which I'm really excited about. That's going to start up pretty soon, too. Um, th- I wish I could talk about a couple of these, <laughs> but I can't. It's all right. They're, they're really great, um, exciting. Um, yeah, I think that's it. What, one of my favorite parts when I when I do listen to self titled every now and then is on, I think it's Minds Like Ours at the end, or no, is it Minds Like Ours? At the it end, would have been easy. No, at the end of one of the songs, you go. Or, I don't shit. Now, now I'm now I'm the band member who doesn't know his own songs. It's at the end of a song, and you hear you go da 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 da, like you do the drum roll, but you say it out loud. It's like dirty scandals, dirty or something. But we kept it in there because it was like you in the room, just like shouting things, and we're like, "Yeah, you got to keep that in." Like that's perfect. Hell yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to listen to that album again. I know I'm gonna have a good experience when I listen to it because I've listened to it recently, and I, it's good. It's a good experience. I keep when I listen to it. I've always kind of focused on Baton Rouge for some reason, but I always like even more so. I'm like, what a good job you did with that song because it is like 
it's a song that doesn't have to go on that album, but it does still somehow fit, even though it's a kind of left field song. Mm-hmm. But like that, it that, that what what was that? Wasn't a was that an accordion or what? The instrument that you had to is pump. It, is it, is it, yeah, it's a harmonium. Harmonium. Like getting to see, getting to be in Ivy Lab and like mess around with these toys, things like that, and just like all the all the instruments at our disposal is just like it all came out in that album. Like you hear so many, so many things going on and it's like, that's what, that's what that's like. That's what makes recording in a studio like that worth it. There's like, look at all this stuff. Now play, now go play with it. (laughs) What? Yeah. When Andrew was playing that huge organ. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. (laughs) Great. Well, I hope at somebody who listens to this, hears us talk about this. Here's the music's, the songs that I dropped that you've worked on and because of it at some point ends up getting in touch with you and working with you because I think you you bring a lot to the table to a for a band you're not just someone like we said you're not just someone who you send songs to and then you chop it up and it's done like you become passionate for that project and you you become invested like when you were talking about recording you said we like we have to get this you didn't say you guys like you are a part of it you're part of that band for that process and uh i think you are good especially for us you're our first big album experience i think you're a good i mean any album but especially a good first album experience uh producer so thank you i hope other bands who aren't familiar with you or other artists who hear this, get in touch with you because thank you. That's what I, I would so want. Too. I would ideally want you to be uh, uh, doing the next Adele record. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in a month or so, because I, I know she's a fan. Yeah, of in a month. Yeah, yeah give yeah. yourself some time. Yeah. All right, man. Well, thanks. Thanks for all those kind words. It's it's really great meeting your child and seeing you and mm. i hope that you have a really good night thank you and man. um you too yes yeah, new year's man have a good have a good holiday you've you're having people over so have a good fun little thanks. new year's eve thanks for the hour and change thanks for waiting while i had to go change her not a it's problem at all good catching up with you buddy you're one you're one of the good ones you're one of the ones who has a little special place in my heart yeah <laughs> you too all right, all right man. buddy have a good holiday all right you too <laughs>